call and response uh, appears to be a fundamental pattern of life. Think about the last time someone called you and you responded. It might have been a simple invitation to a party or a new job or even to marriage. The call is an interruption and an invitation to stop doing one thing and consider doing something else. Uh, When God called me to ministry, I didn't want to know. I blocked my ears. We were settled with a great job, a growing family. Why would I say yes to such an inconvenience? But we did, and we're glad. Call and response. When God called us to St Barnabas, I was daunted, but we said yes to God's call, and we're glad. Call and response. Today we're looking at the call of Abraham and how he responded, and what we can learn from this fundamental dynamic of call and response. And along the way, you might like to consider how God called you in the past and the ways he might be calling you now. But the reading from Genesis chapter 12 has particular significance for us today. It comes between the ninth anniversary of the Canterbury earthquakes and the first anniversary of the mosque shooting. And both these events have within them this idea of call and response. During the earthquakes, for example, God called us into very unfamiliar territory. The mosque attack reminds us that both Islam and Christianity trace the antecedents of faith to Abraham and his call and response. Furthermore, many of us have just begun a Lent study course called the Bible Course, and during the week we looked at this very passage. And finally, the baptism of Milo reminds us that God continues to call people of any age today. So here's some background to think about. Genesis chapters 1 to 11 is often called the primeval history of the world, and it is a unit of scripture that is very well defined. God creates everything from nothing. He structures the world for life and fills it with a vast array of living things. Now, God could have created a world where obedience to his will was compulsory. But instead, God chose to take a gamble. He chose to create, as the crowning glory of his handiwork, a creature endowed with a possibility of being able to flout God's will. Beings who do good because they have no other choice don't seem to interest God at all. But beings who choose to serve God and do right, while fully conscious of their capacity to do wrong, seem to be worth creating. And so God creates a world in which men and women, God hopes, will freely choose to do good by loving one another and God. But unfortunately, things turn out rather badly. Now, I'll put in brackets, and I haven't got this in my notes, but it's important to realize that this isn't a mistake. Somehow, this kind of world, even with its potential to go bad, was still had a greater capacity to good than any other kind of world. And we need to hold on to that uh, as Christians, especially in the world as it is. The people rebel against God. And things go from bad to worse in Genesis 1 to 11. There's murder, 
There's wrongdoing. And the earth itself seems to be knocked off its true center and things go progressively awry. But God works with people to win them back into relationship. But again and again, they reject God and seek to build human communities independently of him. The story of the Tower of Babel is a classic example of people seeking to build a kingdom in opposition to God and to allow pride and a thirst for power to reach its fullest expression. And so we find right at the beginning of chapter 12, which marks the beginning of a brand new unit, and some would say is kind of like one of the crux, cruxes of the whole of Scripture. God changes tack. Instead of working with the human community in general, he focuses down, down, down onto a single person. This is a move from what scholars call common grace, that is grace that pertains to all of humanity, to elected grace, where God elects a particular person, Abraham, and makes a number of promises to him. God calls and Abraham responds. So what is the nature of the call? Well, it's very specific, it's very dramatic, and very costly. It says in Genesis 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Don't be put off by Abram, Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of many. And this was a way that God signaled Abraham's new vocation. So it's a call, but it's also a promise and a blueprint for a new direction all wrapped up together. So first of all, it's a call. God calls Abraham to leave his nation, tribe, and family. Everything he knows must be left behind. This is a turning point for him. His settled life in Haran is to be left behind. The call of God is a call to leave one way of life and to adopt an alternative way of life. And you can see why this might be very important. Abraham was to leave the polytheistic religions of his nation, tribe, and family and bind himself instead to the one true God. Abraham's call is away from the gods and towards the one true God. But God also makes a series of promises to Abraham. God promises to give him a land, a blessing, to make him a great nation. I'm up to three. Four is to make his name great. And five is through him to bring about a blessing for all the families of earth, of the earth. God, God's promise contains five elements. Some scholars actually say there are actually seven elements there, but I've chosen just to mention five elements of the promise. So what does it mean to be blessed? Because, of course, that, um, that is the, at the beginning, a blessing. What does it mean to be blessed? To be blessed is to experience the love and favor and grace of God. Furthermore, God promises to make Abraham's name great. 
Now, in ancient Israel, as it was for other ancient cultures, your name was much more than the word by which you were known. Your name represented your character. And so this is a promise that Abraham would be esteemed as a person of exceptional integrity and character. And the promise is also to make of Abraham a great nation. And we can see this in the world today. The Jewish people grew, and so they have a nation today. And most importantly, um, Abraham is to become the means by which all the nations will be blessed. You see, God hasn't given up on the common grace. Uh, he's not given up on the world, but he, he will get there through one person who is to become a blessing for all of the peoples. So before we rush on to find out how Abraham responded, uh, think of this final piece of background. We're told at the end of chapter 11 that Abraham's wife Sarah could not have any children. Abraham himself was 75 years of age, and I made the mistake at the 8 o'clock service of calling him, therefore, an old man. <laughs> Which, of course, is completely incorrect. You're really just getting underway, aren't you, Philip? But he was 75, and yet the promise of God, what God makes to Abraham is based on his ability to have descendants, to have a child. So God makes a promise to Abraham, but in Abraham's mind, he must have been thinking, how can this possibly happen? I'm old, sorry, I'm 75, I'll put that, and my wife is unable to bear children. And yet it says in verse 4, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. He went with his wife, his nephew, Lot, and all the people and possessions that he owned. And he traveled from Haran in the northern part of the Fertile Crescent down south to Canaan. Abraham heard God's call, and he responded by believing and acting according to his faith. Note well that Abraham didn't wait for the evidence before acting. He acted first. This is the nature of faith. He had to relinquish his nation, tribe, and family. He had to relinquish his settled way of life and his prospects for the future. He had to let go, and then he received the promise. And even then, he did not see the end from the beginning. He didn't receive the whole promise, but he acted in faith. He trusted God, and he stepped out. So here's a question for all of us. How would you recognize God's call if it came to you? Well, first of all, it's a call from barrenness, which is the biblical word for Sarah not being able to have children, from barrenness to blessing. Sarah couldn't have children, uh, and Abraham was 75. They had a nation, tribe, and family, but no children of their own. Now, there are many who are, who are like that today. In a sense, they're doing well, but their lives are not fruitful. Um, they may have professional success, for example. But spiritually, on the inside, life is arid and barren. And the only way out of barrenness is to hear God's call, leave the secure and familiar routines, and trust in God. 
This is the way to experience God's blessing. This is the way to come alive spiritually. Here's another way to think about God's call to you this morning. God calls us to an alternative community. It's a call to leave one kind of life and begin living a different, renewed kind of life. To turn away from the gods of this world, uh, materialism, individualism, self-realization, and to embrace the one true creator God and to follow him wherever he leads. And don't think this idea of call and response is just a side issue. It really is front and center throughout scripture. Think of the disciples whom Jesus called. His first words, come and follow me. And God's call kind of inserts itself into our lives as well. God's call is an intrusion of sorts. It's the original wake-up call. We're drifting through life, and God's call is like someone shaking us and waking us up from a deep sleep, like throwing a bucket of water on us and saying, you must stop what you're doing. You must change direction. Come, follow me, and join my alternative community. God's call is urgent and confronting. Today we've thought about call and response. But of course this is not a one-off transaction. Sometimes decisions are kind of once-in-a-lifetime sort of decisions, but many others, we've actually got to make that decision every single day. And we must get up every morning and decide to prioritize God in our lives. To say to ourselves, I follow Christ. That is who I am. I am part of God's alternative community, the church. I am a Christian. And it turns out that far from being an ordeal or a burden, admittedly, Abraham had a lot of twists and turns in his life, but nevertheless, it was the way to his true humanity. And it's the way to our true humanity also, the pathway to joy, the pathway to fullness of life. Amen.